Hello, and welcome to the Niche Podcast for September 21st, 2012. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere. This week, sandwich achievements, gratuitous animations, wireless green peas, you heard that right, and a future without graphical user interfaces. I don't know if you're ready for this. Are you sure you're ready for this? Please stand by. The Niche Podcast is next. Hello. Good morning. <laughs> Coming to us from the couch today? Yes. Yes, thanks to an earache and a headache. Uh, that's no fun. Yeah. Well, at least you didn't have to commute into an office, right? Right, exactly. I got to avoid that three-foot commute. <laughs> I had to take one of our dogs to the vet yesterday. And mm-hmm. He, uh, he's. It, it looks like he might have dog diabetes, which I'm. Oh. Yeah, I was actually afraid it'd be something a lot more ominous, so that might be less like, treatable. Yeah, exactly. Less, ma- less manageable. Less manageable. Yeah. It sounds like no fun to treat, but it sounds treatable, so that's good. Is that why he was peeing all the time? Yeah, that's the. Uh, it's, he's like drinking a lot. Well, he's peeing a yeah. lot because he's drinking a lot. But right, because he's because his blood sugar is too high. Yeah, yeah. So it's not definite, but that's a that seems to be the issue. But anyway, yeah. I... Switch him. Switch him over to like to a, like a meat diet, meat based diet, and he'll be fine. You think? Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah, it's all the carbohydrates and the dry dog food. Yeah, I believe it. And plus, we give him no shortage of cookie, not you know, dog cookies, not real dog cookies. biscuits. Yeah. So yeah, that would be. I'll definitely do that. But the uh, the, the funny thing was, um, is that, you know, I almost never drive. Like, really, I probably drive once a month tops. And, uh, I you know, I had to take Erica's car yesterday and drive him down to the vet. And usually when I'm in the car, Erica's driving or occasionally I'll drive. But, you know, it's always Cooper and Erica and me and half the time also both dogs. Right. So yesterday was probably the first time in... I'm going to say six months that I drove in the car by myself. And I was like, wow, it's so nice and quiet in here. (laughs) Alone with my thoughts. (laughs) Maybe commuting wouldn't be so bad. (laughs) Man. That's funny. Yeah, it was really, I was like, oh man, no wonder, no wonder like the nation doesn't rebel against going into the office. It has some, it has some pluses. Get that quiet time to think in the morning. Yeah. I mean, I used to commute to, uh, when I worked at Staples, I was a, a DBA at Staples uh, in Framingham, Mass. And I was had like over an hour commute both directions. And and uh, I would actually go the long way because there was almost never traffic the long way. And other than, other than I didn't actually mind the drive most times. Just the, just the, the extra time that it took. Right, I, but I would I would somehow make it. Uh, it usually felt productive in some one one way or another. But uh, but this was back before you know this was back in like the early late well I guess around two thousand. Yeah. So, you know there was no. There was no smartphones or anything. There was no podcasts really that you could that, it was it was like such a different. Uh, it was even more isolated then than it would be now. It'd be yeah, you know, 
Yeah, get you a, a self-driving car and you can just have a meditation hour. Yeah, totally. It'd be so great. So I thought that was, it was, I was like, wow. <laughs> but I know I would, I would blow my brains out if I had to commute to a job every day. Every single day, yeah. Oh, it wouldn't yeah, be. And you know, that's, that's funny because you would think being, being the basement dweller that you are. Mm -hmm. you would be no stranger to quiet time but you know i I forget you have a two-year-old running laps over your head yeah and and two decent sized dogs yeah Uh, you know every time the every time uh, we get an amazon every time the wind blows yeah exactly yeah yeah mine do that too right when there's not pee leaking through the ceiling onto (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's totally different so wow oh yeah yeah i I had an interesting start to my day. Oh yeah. Yeah, Kira Kira told me this morning, like literally one minute before the bus was supposed to be here, that oh yeah, our field trips today. She reminded me this morning, oh yeah, our field trips today. I need to pack a lunch. <laughs> so So I have I have unlocked some kind of fast lunch packing achievement. <laughs> I I managed to do it. Wow. That I have not I was not able to get back to sleep afterwards. She gets on, she gets on the bus way early, and usually I go back to bed for like an hour mm-hmm. after she gets on the bus. And it did not happen today. Yeah, adrenaline spike. Yeah, adrenaline spike from from lunch packing. <laughs> you know, making a sandwich just got me too wound up. <laughs> well, that's impressive. <laughs> so let's see. You want to talk about making apps that run everywhere? <laughs> Uh, as opposed to making sandwiches at the speed of light, yeah. <laughs> making sandwiches that are delicious everywhere. Yes. <laughs> cool. So there were a couple of interesting things came up in the past uh, week. Um, I don't know if we have a... Do we have a, really a bug report this week? Mm, I don't really have anything. This this week has been, thankfully, fairly bug-free. Hmm. I even even managed to make a site and have it work on Internet Explorer eight the first try. So nice, very impressive. Well, I have I, this isn't exactly a bug report, but it was uh, it's sort of similar, which is that um, uh, we're both working on a project or involved with a project that's uh, like a mobile web app sort of for photo sharing type of stuff. Yes, and uh, I got the. You know the the we're not doing the client development, right? Uh, so someone, uh, a company from Croatia, Infinim, actually, they're really good. If you want to get in touch with them, and get some uh, mobile development done. But uh, great group of people. Yeah, they're great. They're really good. Um, but the uh, highly highly recommend them for sure. But the the app is nearing completion, and you know you built the API a while ago, and the. Uh, the actual front end is nearing completion, so they sent out a link so that people could test it. And I went through it uh, last week, and it's it's a basic it's basically a fort. It's a tab based interface, kind of like the mobile Twitter, where it's got uh, a few four tabs across the top, actually, and you know you can bop between each one of those real easily, and uh, it does some AJAX stuff to pull your photos and and shared photos into your experience there and you can comment on them etc etc and the last week there were uh, animation there were some bugs of course there always are and and but there were also some design choices that were made that 
I felt were contributing to an overall feeling of sluggishness. Mm-hmm. And this has come up uh, in this comes up a lot actually when I'm doing training and that sort of thing, uh, where where people will mix. There's two two issues really. Is one is that people will mix navigation models in a way that fights against their design and does not reinforce the user's mental model of the organization. And so what I mean by that is is like in a tab based interface when you tap on different tabs, each tab represents kind of like a different um, uh, subject area in the application. It's like a module. It's like a module of a larger application. It's not, and they're, they're kind of at the same level, if you will, it's not a hierarchy where, where one tab is like a sub view of another tab that wouldn't, that is like, and, but people will do that sometimes. And it's like, uh, you're using the wrong navigation model. The tab bar is not the right thing for that. Right. I mean, it's, it's normal to have screens nested within your tab, but then you just, you do some kind of separate sub nav, sub tab navigation menu. I mean, you don't, you don't put your sub sub screens in other tabs on the same hierarchy. Right. It's just weird. So if you, so really, in fact, when I talk about this and I talk about navigation models in, in one of the, the training courses and it's basically no navigation where you've got a utility app that maybe flips to the back so you can change some settings uh, but you know that's about it. It's like a calculator or a weather application, that kind of thing. Uh, or you've got tab bar, like we're talking about, where you've got between three and six categories, say, along the top or bottom, and those are, uh, you know, individual modules that might show different views of the same data, but they're not hierarchies of each other. And then you've got uh, drill down, which is that sort of familiar. Um, uh, hierarchical organization like you see in the iOS settings app or even in the Android settings app where you're, you, you've got a sort of list of stuff, you tap on something, it slides over, you see more details about that thing. And like you said, the, um, you can mix those. So like a tab, a, a given tab could have drill down inside of it. Like that's perfectly normal. Yeah. But you don't want, but so here's what was happening. So I see people violating that principle all the time. It just makes their life difficult because they're, they're using, uh, a, a UI that's not appropriate to the kind of data they're trying to display. Uh, and, and so that's one thing. And this app didn't do that. I mean, the, I think the, uh, the tabs were appropriate, but the, the thing that was weird about it was as you switch tabs, the views would slide left and right inside of the tabs or underneath the tabs, I should say. So like if you tapped on the first tab, the far left, you know, the view would come in. And then if you tapped on the next tab, the, the first tab view would slide out and the next one would slide in left to yeah, right. Yeah, that's that's not really the type of animation you expect to have on a tab. Yeah, if if any animation at all, in fact. Yeah. So Yeah, that, and actually, actually I don't th- I don't think a tab should have any any sort of any sort of animation to be honest. Right. I mean maybe fading from one to the other. I mean technically that's an animation, but um, but so here's the thing. So the the animation and there was sort of what it, what I would call gratuitous animation like this in a couple of places. So sort of like animation for animation's sake, and not to and and not anything that was reinforcing the model of the application or the the organization of the data. And the the original I think it was the original Facebook web app might have been the native the first Facebook native app I can't remember. But they violated this like painfully, and it just drove me nuts. Where they'd have they had this they had these three tabs, and 
you know, the selected one would be displayed. And then if you tapped on uh, one that wasn't selected, the whole screen would slide away. And then a new set of the same three tabs would slide in with the new one selected. <laughs> it was like so disorienting. Yeah. Yeah, that defeats the whole purpose of having tabs. I think it does. I mean, it breaks the metaphor. Yeah. So if you're going to use tabs, you know, stick with them, <laughs> so to speak. But the other thing was, so so this sort of gratuitous animation was in other places as well, where, you know, there's like a grid view of photos and you would tap on one and and the view would slide left to reveal the detail of the photo, which, which does sort of make sense because you're drilling down uh, into the details for that photo, but it didn't make sense to me from a grid layout. And yeah. I would I would think if you're going to put any kind of animation on a grid layout like that, it would be some kind of zoom in. Yeah, exactly. My thought exactly. But so here's the thing. So I went through the I went through the whole app, and really there were there was only one place where I felt animation would have would have um, really helped the user, and in fact mm -hmm. that spot wasn't animated. So and it was and it's a really complicated thing to do because it was like uh, it was like you know. Uh, user focuses into a very tiny uh, form field to add a comment and it would have been cool if that could have animated up to the next view which was a like a full screen area for typing yeah uh, that would be cool but the but so the thing was you know this is for a client you know it's not I'm not the client you're not the client and Infinim's not the client so um, you know they received designs that were static designs you know that did a great job describing what buttons should look like and what colors should be and the relative size of things. And, and that was great. The static designs did that very well. Um, but the static designs didn't indicate any of the animations. And I see this a lot of times where the, the, it's left to the developer to kind of decide what the animations should be. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, don't know, I don't know who decided on the animations that were in the app when I saw it last week, but my suggestion was uh, to just take them all out because... Not only did I think some of them were misleading, but um, but uh, I f also felt like they were contributing to an overall feeling of sluggishness, and also, uh, you know, there was a little bit of jitteriness here and there, and yeah. you know, it was like uh, flashing, and maybe that could have been fixed, but I didn't see the point of of worrying about it. Yeah, uh, if you have to wait around for a lot of animation, then your app's going to feel less responsive, and. Yeah, you know, I think I think animation to to a lot of designers is still a pretty new thing. Mm -hmm. As far as you know, f for for a long time we had the web without any kind of ability to do animations and, and like that in terms of things like full screen transitions and and what have you. Yeah, I mean set time set timeout or set interval. Yeah, was like eesh. yeah. So. So to me, I was like, and the, but here's the risk, right? Where since none of us are the client, I wonder what's going to happen when the client looks at it and, and just has may potentially have this this underlying feeling of it not being quote unquote polished, you know? Right. It doesn't seem it doesn't look native, and and that that I mean, this client's a great client to work with. I'm not picking on this client, but in yeah. general, I see a lot of. Um, it's kind of like we'd rather have it look more native than be good. In, oh, I shouldn't say it like that. We, we'd r rather have it be more native looking than responsive. 
uh, or yeah. or stable. Yeah, it's the um, you know the the aesthetics take priority over performance. Yeah, and and both of us are just wired to repel that notion. Yeah. But I know lots of people are wired the other way. Yeah, and and in fact, I think the company that did the design is probably wired that way. Yeah, exactly. Like it's it's, and there's an argument there, which is there that, is that if it's not if it's not sort of um, if it seems less polished, then uh, it's probably less likely to get adopted. You know, like the more polished it is, the better in terms of adoption. Um, and that's certainly true, but it, I don't think that I think you l would lose that benefit if the trade-off is we're going to add in these super cool sliding animations, but the interface is going to be a little janky. Yeah, you know you, that that's sort of shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, and and anything, especially in an app like this where you're dealing with a lot of photos, you're going to be looking at a large large amount of of data transfer just simply by the fact that you're dealing with a bunch of images. Right. So I think anything you can do to improve performance, you, you should do. Mm -hmm. and, and now, so they, they took all of that uh, advice and they, they did it. They took out the animations. And, and they, the other thing that I recommended was to um, throw loading graphics like fast. So yeah. as soon as the finger touches the screen, if you're going to have to load something, you know, some kind of Ajax request or whatever, first thing to do is put up that that loading daisy wheel and then and it even though the operation ends up taking the same exact amount of time if you have to wait two seconds before the loading graphic shows up it feels a lot less responsive yeah and yeah. it gives you time to like tap the button again yeah it's like, like, oh, oh why didn't this work right yeah so that's in fact that's my number one piece of advice general advice for um, uh in in the training class is about uh, principles of mobile interface design. The number one thing you have to do is respond instantaneously or faster to the user's interaction. Even if you can't complete the operation immediately, you have to respond instantly. Right. It's about perceived perceived responsiveness because you're not you're not really changing anything in terms of of how how the application processes the data. You're just giving some kind of immediate visual feedback, just so that just so that the user knows, oh, you know, my my touch registered. Yeah, yeah, it makes a huge difference. And so they did implement those two things last week, and they sent it back this week. And I got to tell you, this thing is looking good. It's yeah. Bang fast. It's just you know, and occasionally they has to load data over the network, but it's not unreasonable. It takes a lot less time than than it takes many native apps to even launch. Uh, so. And in the environment we're in right now is probably the worst network environment we'll be in. Well, maybe not, but uh, it's it's not optimized yet or anything. So it's it's. Uh, I mean, in my opinion, it's a huge, huge upgrade in terms yeah. of responsiveness and stability. Yeah, I have to, I have to do a couple of minor changes on my end, but I have been really pleased with you know it's it's coming together nicely. Yeah. So the advice to you, dear dear listener, is to put in animations only where you need to um, you know that our goal if you're building a web app the goal isn't to fake users into thinking it's a native app the goal is to deliver a kick-ass web app right and, and sometimes that means leaving out gratuitous animations 
that, that's a that's a good point. You don't you don't need to emulate mobile when you're building a web app because your your users know it's not a native application. I mean, you don't you don't need to try and be a native application. You just need to deliver a good mobile web experience. Yeah. And but it's like this inferiority complex where people are, you know, web developers and designers like, oh, wow, well, we want it. We want it to look native and we want it, you know, we've got all of these transforms and transitions and animations and all of these new things. Let's use them all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's like Apple's view of Apple's view of the way a small screen touch interface should be is great. And it, it kicked off this whole revolution of smartphone technology, but it's not the only way that you can design an interface. Right. So be creative and, and, you know, don't be silly adding stuff in just because it looks cool. Uh, you know, if, if the trade-off is degraded performance or stability, you know, it's just no, there's no question in my mind that if it's between flickering screen and, uh, and like a cool sliding animation, then skip the animation. Yeah. Yes. Your, your customers will thank you when they don't have to wait. Yeah. I, I feel like they're... All that said, there are times when animations help a lot, which are which is um, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like when when Web 2.0 and Ajax, you know, uh, partial page refresh type stuff happened. There is a benefit to maintaining the context of where the user is in some cases, and then mm -hmm. and then transitioning in this thing that they just did. Like uh, for example, you know, if you log into a uh, if you attempt to log into a web app, whether it's on mobile or desktop. If the screen just totally, if your login fails and the screen just totally refreshes and there's like an error message there, that's some, it makes it easy to miss the error message, especially if it was a long form. Yeah. But if you just sort of animate that message in, it's going to attract the eye and you're going to, you're going to realize that it's there. And then once you realize it, then the ability to say either dismiss it or for it to go away again automatically covers the problem where if you re log in and it fails again and the, if the error message never went away and came back then it's you know what i mean then you're like well, right right then you don't know yeah yeah so yeah the... and and like another another place where i actually like it is for instance on the on the people uh you know the, on the people mobile website where you have the 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 sliding animation left to right to mm -hmm. navigate between photos yeah um yeah, technically not really necessary in that context, but a lot of times when you're doing things where you're sliding back and forth between different chunks of content that you can view, personally I like it because there are times when I'll slide halfway and then I'll see like, oh, you know, it, it's it, it's easier to keep track of where I am kind of deal. I don't know. I just, I think it works really well for, for sliding, swiping between content. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would be... Uh, for swipe your finger across would be um, it's I, I started out that was actually an early early iteration was I separated out the notion of of the swipe from the update of the display so you'd swipe your finger and it would recognize that it was a swipe and it would just bang switch to the next image and yeah. it's um it's not bad actually but I agree that it you lose a little bit of context and that having the the image follow your finger as the swipe is in progress uh, feels more like you're manipulating the content and less like um, a, an interface abstraction. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. So 
so you know you can get away with invisible controls and that kind of thing it's a little bit more but i will tell you you could you could navigate through a carousel of images a lot faster without the animation oh yeah yeah so the 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 there is a trade-off there and you know i couldn't have i couldn't have left out the slide that was part of the part of the spec but I probably would have put it in anyway because it didn't degrade the experience. If it did create a jittery kind of thing, I would have left it out. For, I would have tried to leave it out. Yeah. Yeah, but I it it feels like it's one of those things that if you're doing any kind of swipe animation, it's almost expected now. Right. I mean, you you can't leave it out without people going, "Oh, you know, this is wrong." <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, but you're right. It does. It makes it feel more like you're manipulating the content rather than just telling the app to do something. Exactly. Yeah, so there, there's no doubt there are places for animation, but I just want people to be um, mindful of of it and that they're putting it in where it helps the user and not where, you know, it helps the developer to feel like they're <laughs> aping a native <laughs> app interface. Yeah. Yeah, don't do, thing, do things because, because they're useful, not because they look cool. Yeah, exactly. So one uh, one last thing I wanted to say about the the mobile web app is that mm -hmm. um, the way that I reviewed it, you know, I was going to go through and just make notes like we usually do, but um, I'm kind of lazy. And I also knew that a lot of the things that I was going to cover had to do with animation. So uh, I recently uh, bought a copy of ScreenFlow, which is a, a really nice, um, like, screen sharing it's not a screen sharing application it's like a screen recording like, application. yeah yeah I've, I've demoed it before and it's nice yeah it's super nice it's and it's for recording your screen uh, but also your audio and your uh and, and external cameras it's kind of like a combination of iMovie and and you know like a and like QuickTime. yeah um and it's it's 99 bucks which is nothing to sneeze at but it's but it's I, for me it's well worth the money it's just amazing uh and it talk about ease of use it's like trivial to to do complex things but anyway yeah so, I, th I think it's what anyone who does any kind of professional screencasting uses just about yeah i mean to to capture a video that includes your desktop and your and, and video of something for me i'm do I, I set up a webcam on my actual phone and I opened up the web app in a, uh, in the simulator on the machine and I went through a bunch of stuff in the simulator and recorded the whole thing with narration and said, geez, you know, I think it would be cooler if this didn't do this or look here, you know, we've got, um, this is confusing me. So it was stuff like, it was stuff like walking them through my experience of seeing the app for the first time mm -hmm. and or at least first time in a long time. And and I feel like it gave them like, oh, you know, they could kind of see it through my eyes where I get to a spot and like a dialogue box pops up and the message or the, the button labels make no sense compared to the message. It's yeah. like, okay, and cancel, but it wasn't a yes or no question or, you know, it's like um, that kind of thing. And then, uh, and then for, there was a ghost click problem um, where there's like a, a button way down in the bottom of one of the screens. And if you tapped on it, the next screen had a button in the same place and the, the 300 millisecond delay would throw another click on that. So you almost like click through twice when you didn't mean to. And to explain that to someone in, in like a text document or an email is brutal. But in a screencast is just like, look, you know, 
here's the problem. Yeah, and actually, I think I may, I may have to get me a copy of that because now that you mention it, that that does sound like a much, much better way to explain these things because I've been having some problems lately too. Um, I've I've been working on some things for for our client that you're probably not aware of, mm-hmm. but um, there's been several things where where their customer support people would have to go in and like learn some new things and. Yeah, we've been we've been getting on conference calls and and doing using join join me, yeah, and and things like that. But yeah, but but this the beauty of this and you know, uh, Infinim's in Croatia, so they have like a like a seven hour time difference, I think it is. Yeah. So this allows us to not have to set up a meeting; they can just watch it uh, right at their convenience. So it's time shifted. And yeah, I do when I was doing a lot of desktop development back in the FileMaker days. I would always be up late working on stuff and then I'd record a video of me walking through the new interface and I just send the video and and not only did that obviate the need to set up a phone call but it also meant that I didn't have to type out any documentation and you know when they forgot how to do how to use the screen in 3 months they could just go back to the <laughs> video and didn't have to call me so I just referenced the video yeah and since I don't bill by the hour that was a good thing <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I think it's great. QuickTime uh, does this also, and it's free on the Mac, but it's, I feel like it creates much larger files, and um, and it's not real flexible. So ScreenFlow does everything QuickTime does, but it adds a lot of editing features that are very useful. And it, it seems, I might be imagining it, but I feel like the files it outputs are much smaller. Yeah, no, you're you're right. ScreenFlow files are much smaller. QuickTime, QuickTime produces. I don't think QuickTime QuickTime does any kind of compression, video compression. Yeah, they're big. Uh, so uh, I definitely definitely advocate ScreenFlow. I'm actually going through and re-recording all of the training modules with ScreenFlow because the uh, recording them live has just been a disaster. The, <laughs> the quality stinks. Uh, QuickTime keeps crashing, and it's it just it it's not great. So, um, I'm actually recording all, like I said, recording all the videos with, uh, you know, much, much higher quality and the files aren't nearly as big as I expected. Yeah. So that's cool. Um, okay. So that was a, that was a lot about the, the, uh, mobile web app, but I think that's, I think those are interesting things. I think web developers need to hear more and more, like stop trying to pretend it's a native app, just make an awesome web app. Yeah. Everyone knows it's not a native app we don't expect it to be a native app. Yeah. Uh, probably some since some instances we don't really want it to be a native app. <laughs> yeah. So, I you know, there's a there's a um a consideration though if you're also releasing a native app that that I am a big advocate of keeping your user interface is consistent enough that it's not a relearning process from one to right. the other because users will bounce back and forth between the two experiences. Right. Maybe maybe you have the same UI, you just drop some animations to improve performance. Yeah, exactly like Facebook did. I, I thought the ch- design choices Facebook made between the mobile app and the native app were brilliant. You know, they left out some stuff, um, but you, you don't really, I don't know. I use both, um, I'm not a huge Facebook user, but I use it maybe once every couple of days. And... Uh, I don't know. I just don't miss. I don't miss the animations. I notice that they're gone. I do notice that that snap when the you slide open that drawer on the side. Mm-hmm. But does it bother me? No. You know. 
I thought they did. I, I thought the Facebook mobile and native mobile web and native app, uh, if you AB those two things and see the trade-offs they made, I thought they were right on the money. So that's a great uh, kind of case study for the kind of trade-offs that you know you can get away with and still create a pretty complicated uh, mobile app. Yeah. Yeah, they've, they've done a good job with it. And, and I was afraid we wouldn't have enough to talk about this week. I know, I know. <laughs> I was sitting there going, I don't really have anything to... <laughs> yeah, so let's sh let's drastically shift gears or I'm just going to keep rambling about this. Okay. <laughs> what do I... I so last week you um I saw your site redesign. Yes. And now every and I said it then and it's even worse now. I can't stand my site design anymore. <laughs> I have to change it. So I was like I you know my my source code, all my HTML and everything is really clean and and uh organized and lightweight because the last time I did a redesign, that was the first thing I did. Mm -hmm. And then I had a, a designer. I didn't design the one, the current site. Uh, I had a designer, um, you know, do actually design it for me. And um, and I don't like it anymore. And in fairness to him, I've changed a bunch of things since then. It's just like gone farther and farther downhill. Yeah, it has changed a lot from what it was. Oh, year and a half, two years ago when I first started working with you. Yeah, I had a, it was more of a homepage thing. But when I look at the traffic on my site, most people don't see the homepage anyway. You know, yeah. it's like, I mean, it, it's certainly one of the top three or four pages on there, but most people are going straight to my blog or most people are going straight to it, like a training page or something like that, because <laughs> they get a link somewhere and they bang straight to it. And, you know, why would there be yeah. anything interesting on the homepage? So, yeah. Conversely, my site is just one page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, my, my, I do have, I probably have about. I've got at least 50 pages or 60 pages on the site, so it would be definitely yeah. too much to fit into a, a one-page design, though I do like those. So I was like, how could I do this really easily, potentially learn something in the process, and and not have to get too tied up? I don't have a ton of time, so I don't want to get... I just want to start with something that's out of the box, looks really good, and maybe I can tweak a few things. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, well, what about Twitter Bootstrap? That seems, I see this, I, I'm seeing a lot of really nice stuff done with that. I like the way, it, what, what looks like the out of the box experience. And, um, uh, and I recently saw a phone gap video, uh, where the developer had used, uh, Twitter bootstrap for the, in some way for the, the mobile, it was like a phone gap app and, and she mm -hmm. used bootstrap for the, I'm assuming for the styling, but uh, you know, bootstrap has some also some JavaScript stuff to it, but I'm not real familiar yeah. with it. Uh, and I know that you you built Pulp as kind of a um, more lightweight version of Bootstrap. Am I correct? Uh, yes and no. Um, well, basically, yeah. It um, there's a lot of things that Bootstrap does that that Pulp doesn't and, and doesn't even attempt to. Um, well, first of all, Pulp now is a is a combination of two things. First, it's the 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 generator's script for setting up the MVC style Sinatra application, mm -hmm. and then it does have that that sort of front end boilerplate component. And basically, basically all Pulp is on the front end at the moment is it's a okay a sensible sort of CSS reset 
and then it does like, like some basic styling for things things like um like target like focus and and typography and and all of that there's really really not any sort of layout component to pulp gotcha well that it's funny because the you know bootstrap does have a, lot, a big grid system built yeah. into it and i really don't need that i have i mean i I sort of do but i've got like the standard site design where there's like a header and a footer a right sidebar and like the main content area and that's it Mm -hmm. when i made pulp which part part of the typography resets and what have you are based based off of um or at least inspired by bootstrap and part of the reason i did it as opposed to just using bootstrap was because i found that one, I'm I'm not a big fan of CSS grid systems. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly a fan of using a grid as a de, you know as a design element, but I'm not a big fan of of CSS grid systems. I think you can easily build your own that's that's tailored to the the project you're working on. Yeah, that and, leaves that and a lot more semantic. Right, exactly. And um, yeah, I found for things like like forms and buttons and and other UI elements like that, they just they change so drastically based on design that I wasn't really sure I wanted them in there by default. Mm-hmm. But I'm finding now, after after I've used it for a few projects, um, I've, actually I've ran into a few things that have kind of made me, kind of made me rethink some of that and want to go back and, and do an update. Mm-hmm. And Can you think of I an mean, example? Uh, yeah, well, first of all, there's a bug with some of the typography in terms of line height on some headings that I need to I need to go in and fix. And you know, I've thought about, um, I mean, you know, like I said, I intentionally intentionally didn't include a grid system, mm-hmm. but I may go back and do sort of a lightweight minimalist one. And and anything that I do from here on out, I think I would probably just put like in separate separate less files, and then you could just include them as needed. Mm. And um, and so you know, I've thought about adding a lightweight grid system just just sort of to make prototyping easier. And you know, and and I've also thought about just doing some default default form styles and that kind of thing. And it may be just throwing like jQuery uniform plugin in there for styling forms. I don't know. Hmm. What's that jQuery uniform? Uh, it's a jQuery plugin for for styling forms, and it. I mean, it'll it'll do all all of the form elements. Like, of course, text box and inputs are pretty easy to do on your own, but you know they're included for consistency. But it'll let you let you style uh, drop downs and check boxes and radio buttons and file upload buttons. Mm, that's cool. Well, I ha- it's funny because that's the other thing that I was considering is is using uh, jQuery Mobile as the uh, sort of it would be such a radical that would be pretty radical to use jQuery mobile as the as the like one of the default themes as mm-hmm. for my site but it kind of makes sense because of what I do to do that and they do have uh they do have it set up so that it it it's not just for small screens like it you can set primary and secondary content in your HTML and when the screen size is big enough it'll um, adjust them appropriately so a little bit more tablet friendly or screen friendly so, but I just, I just don't want to, you know, like I said, I just want to do something relatively easy that I don't have to, you know, be cranking open Photoshop and making little button graphics or anything. Yeah, it feels like a lot of overhead. Yeah. And actually, that's, 
that's another thing too. I'm working working on a project with a friend of mine, and again, the goal there is just to create something really simple. And I mean, I've I've found I've added. There's a lot of CSS3 sort of decoration as far as gradients on buttons and shadows and rounded corners on buttons and things like that. Mm-hmm. And we're we're faced with now. It's like okay. You know how much of this do we want to to fight with to get working in in older versions of Internet Explorer, mm-hmm. yeah. and that sort of thing. You mentioned earlier um, about battery life with some of the the more uh, like with animations and that kind of thing. You also have to. I meant to mention it then, but you just reminded me that um, you can if you have like a, like a, a lot of gradients and and translucency like rgba or um, box shadow or something like that and you have a long list of items where that's applied to every single one of them mm-hmm. you can have problems in mobile browsers from a performance standpoint so if you are if 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 you or our dear listener is doing any of that you want to watch out and actually test on um you know at least a, a baseline version of mobile hardware to see if you do have a problem yeah, yeah. This is this is why you can't test if you're gonna do serious mobile development. This is why simulators don't cut it. Right. Yeah, I don't bother with simulators. The only time I open up a simulator is when I'm doing a screencast, and I just don't want. It's it's hard to webcast from your actual phone, so yeah, that's really the only time I use a simulator. Well, cool. So, um. So it sounds like it sounds like pulp. I forgot about the whole scaffolding thing in pulp. So I think that's probably not um, that doesn't make sense for me because that would be more of a more of an underlying backend change that I don't need. Yeah, I mean all the front end stuff is in a it's in a separate zip file, so you can easily just pull it out and use it. Mm. But I'm so I've always been so tempted to just go Craigslist on it, <laughs> like, <laughs> like just blue text, blue links, black text, white background. Yeah. Times. <laughs> uh, that would. I it would. It would work everywhere. It sure would. <laughs> Consistent. Consistent. Yes. So. So we'll do. Some, I'm gonna. I, I'm probably gonna try Bootstrap just to see how it goes. And uh, the the thing that makes me nervous about it is it sounds like it it was from what I've read so far it was certainly not designed uh, with mobile first in mind. Yeah, it definitely was a desktop thing, and they added, I guess, in two point oh, they they're like, and now it works on mobile. Which, yeah, like a statement like that scares me. So I have a feeling, yeah. I have a feeling it's going to be a fight if I try and implement that, and I want it to look awesome on mobile first. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't dislike Bootstrap. I just I found that for for most of what I'm doing, it's like like with a lot of things, it it was just a bit too much. Yeah, I mean. And and that's you know I guess bootstraps all in all pretty lightweight but still mm. I've you know I found it included a lot of things that I I didn't need so well I'll probably take a whack at it because I'm uh, I have a million I have too many things going on and so I need something that I can procrastinate with <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know I know that that feeling and actually I I may do an update to I may do this update to pulp for the same reason <laughs> yeah all these things that like deadlines crashing around me so i just like if i'm gonna procrastinate i want to at least be productive right that's how my site got redesigned to begin with (laughs) Uh, i hope my book editor's not listening (laughs) so oh by the way i got an Mm -hmm. email from one of our I, i got an email from our listener 
Oh, our, our listener friendly, friendly showed himself yeah. or herself. It was a he, and um, and mentioned that uh, the sound between our two levels was like was like totally different. Like I was screaming and and you were not screaming, so he would have to actually be jockeying his volume knob. Oh wow! Yeah, which which took me by surprise, and I wonder if because I I actually try really hard to get our levels the same. And I wonder though if it's if there's some like weird psychology because my voice is already in my head and so like it doesn't seem loud to me or yours seems louder because it's different than mine or I don't know what it is but um, but he was he was really firm about the fact that the <laughs> volume was you know he was actually he would change the volume when our yeah. when we would s- switch talking that's not good so no. uh, I I poked around a little bit in the recording software and found a, a just a filter that will normalize the two tracks um, to the highest levels and uh, just ran that took like a minute for it to process and and did that in last week's episode and checked with the listener and he said it was way way better so um, if you have been having if if there's more than one listener and you have been having that problem hopefully uh, all episodes going forward will be a little bit more normalized so to speak and nice yeah and in my free time I'll go back and I can and remaster do, the old the others. Yeah, it's just a question of rerunning the. I mean, the basically all the time will be taken up uh, exporting, re-uploading. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. So, if you if you want your uh, grandchildren to go back and listen to the niche <laughs> podcast, the volumes will be fixed. That's good to know. Yeah, it's only what are and, we on episode twenty four and finally figuring out basic uh, operation we, of the recording software. <laughs> Was it 24? I think today is 24. It was 23. No, 24. Jeez. Honey Nut Hedios was 23. (laughs) (laughs) I had so much fun doing that cereal box. That's hilarious. PHP extract. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right. So cool. I think um, most, uh, next week is going to be a little bit weird. and. Mm -hmm. Because uh, speaking at BDConf in Dallas, and I'm doing the kickoff talk, and <clears throat> as such, I'm trying to really blow people's minds and expand their thinking as much as possible to kind of prime the pump for some of the other speakers that are have like really um, in-depth talks about a specific portion of like the future of computing and that kind of thing. Yeah, and you've got a pretty pretty wild talk plan don't you yeah what's the it's called um, managing content and experience in the age of ubiquitous computing the revolution will not be televised and so the the concept is it's funny because the iphone 5 was just released and the uh you know my premise is that the iphone is like the most advanced piece of consumer electronics ever created as Mm -hmm. far far as i know and it's that it's going to look silly like a fax machine in well within our lifetimes maybe in the next couple of years and it's kind of a hard it's kind of a hard position to defend because it's pure crystal ball but uh, so what i'm trying to do is look at the history and the effects of you know what's been happening with computing say starting with mainframe and then you know that was so huge and expensive and then it went down to desktop which in comparison was fractional in terms of uh cost and uh, it, it was even even desktop computers were radically more portable than a mainframe. Yeah. 
and then and and the usage model changed too, where you had multiple people using a mainframe, and then you'd have, you know, probably one person using a desktop. Certainly, maybe one or two people, but it wasn't like you were sharing it with an entire university. And then, boom, it exploded again into, you know, in my mind, I see it like fragmenting into a million little desktop computers, which is smartphones. And those became, you know, way smaller, way more personal, way more portable. And if you imagine that that's going to happen again, what happens when a smartphone explodes into a million little fragments and becomes way smaller, way cheaper, way more portable, and even more personal? It's going to be something you implant. I'm, yeah, I'm, I don't think you're exaggerating. So if you imagine, and so here's my, here's my thinking, right? So I've been thinking about this for a couple of weeks and well, more than a couple of weeks, but, but it occurred to me in the announcement, uh, Apple's announcement last night, uh, last week, they, um, they made a big deal about their new headphones mm-hmm. and they even came up with a name, a, a, you know, before they were just earbuds or whatever, they're just like yeah. the headphones, but yeah. now they have an actual product name. Mm which struck me as really weird first of all that they had a product name for a pair of headphones. Yeah. But also the name. Did you see the name? No, I didn't. They're called EarPods. Oh. And that sounds like a dumb name unless the next version of them is going to be the entire iPod. Yeah. Yeah, that that was my immediate thought when you said that. Right. It's like eventually like they, that'll be the next iPod Nano. Exactly. It's just or shuffle maybe. Yeah. It, it's just going to be there will be no no external device the the headphone will be the device and so i was like so what i want to do i'm trying to get up the nerve to walk on stage wearing headphones and and talk about you know and just like not reference it at all yeah and i'm imagine i'm trying to imagine like i think that will piss people off like you know when you go up to you know you go up to like a cashier or something and maybe you don't but i listen to podcasts a lot and i listen to audiobooks a lot so it's pretty common for me to go up to like the Starbucks counter and order something and I won't bother taking my headphones out even though they're off. Yeah. But you can see that it's off-putting to the other person because they're yeah. like they're like looking at you like like are It you, comes across as disrespectful. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, so what I'll do usually is take one or or maybe even both out because I don't want to tick off the other person even though they're not even on. So right. I was imagining that if I did that to, you know, I come out to do like basically a keynote type talk to a room full of people <laughs> and I don't even bother to take my headphones out, that it would be at least noticed and potentially like, what's this guy? Like, what kind of a jerk <laughs> is this guy? Like, he doesn't even want to shut off yeah. his phone. Yeah. Uh, and then, and the reason why I want to do that is, and I'm curious for your input, is that I want to use that. I want to create an emotional response because then I'm going to talk about what's wrong with the current tech because everybody's like so still so blown away with what these phones can do and they're so obsessed with creating touch-based interfaces for phones and touch computing but really there are a ton of drawbacks to these phones for example mm-hmm. you can see when someone's using one yes. and that's very it's rude in a lot of situations and it's awkward in a lot of other situations and it's inconvenient in still more situations where you have to use your hand you know maybe your hands are busy and so I wanted, I was thinking about pulling this sort of stunt where I illustrate how rude it is to, to be wearing headphones in front of a room full of people that I'm supposed to be paying attention to. Uh, and then I want to, and so here's my, here's my, my full concept. So then what I want to do is say, you know, did anybody notice that I'm wearing headphones? Of course, people are going to say yes. And be like, I hope that pissed some of you off because that was the idea. And, and 
what I'm trying to illustrate is that is a drawback to the current technology, which is that I was even thinking about actually using my phone while I was out there, like, like pretending to forget a word and looking it up on my phone while I'm giving like, the presentation. Do you want me to send you a text message? Or? Yeah, that would be wicked funny. Oh, could you guys hold on one second? Yeah. <laughs> so, so I got to thinking about it and I was like, the, the thing that's rude about it, I think is that, um, you are, it indicates, or it's like a visual indication that you're being taken out of the experience mm-hmm. that, that you're in. So it's kind of like, you know, when there's like a jerk on the, you know, on the bus or whatever, talking on his, either on his cell phone or even worse on like a Bluetooth headset. It's, it's like so rude because it, it, because it, it's pulling him out of the environment that you're all in. And he's also forcibly sucking some of you into his environment. Yeah. Which is elsewhere. Yeah. And that's, that's funny because I feel weird just walking. Like if I'm, if I'm in here in the office doing a, a Skype call or, or what have you, like we're doing now. And, and then I just, like I go out into the living room or the kitchen or something, you know, to, to maybe get a drink or ask Richard something, or I feel really weird if I'm standing there talking to him and I'm wearing this wireless headset. Yeah. Even though it's not on. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, I totally agree. And I wonder if that's, I wonder if that will go away, but I don't think it will. I think what'll happen is, um, I mean, it would be just as rude if, if someone was, if, you know, your spouse is talking to you and, but you wouldn't look up from your magazine. It's not a tech thing. Right. It's, it's like a human social interaction thing. Right. So what I think will happen is, is like, so this, this sort of awkward social, um, element of this, uh, this visual technology or this, it's like this, it's, uh like public computing. I, it's hard to, I, I have to figure out how to talk about it, but the, I think what'll happen is the tech will change so much before the tech will change faster than the, um, social mores and social customs mm-hmm. so that you won't be able to tell by looking at someone, whether or not they're connected or whether or not they're computing more. So it'll be more like, uh, like a news anchor that has an earpiece and they've got like a control room talking to them in their ear. That doesn't bother us because we don't know. It's not obvious. Right. So I think that's what the next explode, you know, when, when smartphones explode into a million little pieces, I think one of those pieces is going to be like, you know, Uhura from Star Trek where we have a, a, a an ear pod. Except ours would be a lot smaller. A lot smaller. And it'll just be in your ear all the time. So it will be like, no one will know if you're connected or not because you always have that thing in. Yeah. And it'll, you know, and I go through this list of qualities that it, it has to have, um, you know, this, a device like this will have to have this list of qualities. It will have to be connected. It'll have to have long battery life. It'll have to be, um, comfortable, nearly invisible, if not totally invisible, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then eventually it'll be like a cochlear implant. Oh, exactly. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You see exactly where I'm going with it. And, and my argument there is, um, you know, what I think the next level is going to be this very, very small, like pea-sized tech. And then after that, it's going to be wet. You know, it's going to be some kind of implant, um, whether it's something we ingest or something that's surgically implanted. And people are going to be like, no one will ever do that. And I'm going to show a picture of like somebody with some crazy, crazy like tattoos and body modifications. And be like, people will do it. <laughs> yeah. You know, these. If it makes their life better, people will do it. Yeah. These nose rings aren't smart and someone put them in anyway. <laughs> And when I say not smart, I don't mean a dumb choice. I mean they're not. No, you to mean the internet. <laughs> <laughs> they're not. They're not. You can't. You can't Google from your nose ring. Yeah. <laughs> smart nose rings. Yes. 
Okay, so the point of going through all that for the crowd, and I'm kind of I'm kind of just vetting this idea with you. So please tell me if it sounds stupid. Um, the idea of of talking about all of that is that the is that we're all so focused on um, stuff that I think really is sort of I I participate certainly in the um, web versus native debate and all that stuff, but that's very very short term strategic type thinking. In the long term, we're not going to have touch touch screens are going to be just one of a million new uh, human human computer interfaces because there's not going to be a touch yeah. screen on this implant in your ear. You're going to have to come up with a new way to interact with that thing and all of the all of the, you know, hue and cry over you know, designing a touch interface for a small screen is going to is which seems so important right now is not going to be that important in the future because the touch interface is going to be the the world is going to be the touch interface. Yeah. And you know, and, I, and I'm like trying to trying to like thinking about the touch interface of a guitar like no one is ever going to come close to to creating the expressiveness and the control that you have over a, like a six string electric guitar with a yeah. on a glass rectangle like no it's never going to happen it is never going to happen but guess what you could connect an electric guitar as it is to the internet and get all kinds of really interesting possibilities so if you put a chip in a guitar, that's a lot different than trying to put a guitar inside of a smartphone or a tablet. Yeah, yeah. You could you could play some code. Can you imagine the possibilities? I mean, for a long time, it's been you know, it's been possible to like you know plug in a MIDI guitar and actually play and get notate music notation out. Yeah, yeah. But what if you could communicate in other ways, or what if or what if you just wanted to get statistics about your guitar playing, you know, or 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 collaborate online with other people? I mean, the 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 possibilities are endless when you think about putting a chip in a guitar, but the possibilities are not endless if you think about putting a guitar in a phone. Yeah. So anyway, so th so um, you know, I'm I'm imagining that it's it might be a stretch to imagine that that people would be able to have a full-on mobile phone smartphone replacement in something the size of a green pea that sits in their ear, because how would you? How would you reasonably interact with it? Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to come up with a, an example that will convince people that it will be possible with existing technology to actually make this happen. Um, and so I, what I wanted to do is like pull out my, you know, so I have this whole thing about the earphones and how they attached to the, you know, and how rude it was for me to be wearing them when I came out. And then, and then kind of like ask the crowd, well, how rude is it now? And I'll pull my phone out of the pocket, out of my pocket, and actually take a pair of scissors and cut the wire between the phone and the headphones. Yeah. So that it's just like the two earpieces strung together. Yeah. And then cut off the other one so it's just the one with the wire hanging down with the little controls on it. Yeah. And then cut that off and then just have the one earphone, which they won't even be able to barely see from the audience, and be like, does it still feel rude? Yeah. Like, what if this thing, what if this thing I could interact with it by, you know, what if the, what if the, uh, uh, what if I could access dictionary.com by saying, what's that word? And that was actually the trigger, yeah, for it to start listening and searching for me. You know, take the take the thing you do in the real world. Like if you said something like, "Ah, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. I'm trying to think of the word that it means X, yeah. Y, and Z," and then it just gets said into your ear. You know, and what what I think is going to end up happening is instead of this technology being off-putting to other people in our environment because it take it's taking everyone out of the environment. I think it's going to start augmenting the environment that we're all in. 
you, you see like does yeah that... yeah because it becomes sort of integrated into just our everyday yeah it, everyday it's... thing i mean if you don't have to if you don't have to stop to interact with this device it just kind of kind of goes along with what you're doing in your day-to-day and then you know just just does it yeah like and, an uninterrupted yeah. flow right like who's that guy that starred in downton abbey oh yeah yeah it's Right, so it's like it's just like accessing your me- your regular memory bank. Yes, but it's just on steroids, right? So it's yeah, not... yeah. That's that's kind of, that's both cool and disturbing to think about. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's the and that's the thing I in the, yeah. in the talk abstract I say this this will define redefine what it means to be human because it's it's if something like this happens and I believe it will it's just a question of when mm-hmm. it becomes the the notion of of remembering something. Yeah. It becomes irrelevant. Yeah. And then the thing is, when you learn something, does that get saved somewhere in addition to your brain? No. Interesting. Like how much of the, how much of your environment, whether it's audio or maybe Google Glass has like a webcam that's picking up and learning about your environment and learning more about you and. Yeah, and I mean, it, it becomes more than just, oh, I can't remember something, this device looks it up for me on the internet. It's more of, oh, you know, what did I have for dinner last week? Oh, that's what I had, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it should definitely be feeding in both directions. So I, I, I think that... Uh, then you can broadcast it too. Right. It's just be, it'll become a question of like, from a, from a, uh, I mean, talk about big data. It's just a question of like, what do you want to learn? Yeah. You know, and and you imagine these like street view cars, like imagine the amount of data, you know, going around and like brute forcing all of this data for Google Maps. Like if everybody had this green pea thing in their ear and they could like walk around and be picking up Wi-Fi, it's just like wear it in the shower, wear it swimming and use it while you're scuba diving, let's say. You know, it's like, it's rat. It's like it would radically change Everything. It would change your entire life. It would change your entire life, exactly. It would change the educa- everything. It would change the way education works. It would change the way politics, religion, commerce, you name it. But guess what it won't yeah. have? Guess what it's not going to have? It's not going to have a GUI. No, it's not. Yeah, and that's the whole point. It, the point of the talk is that is that this touchscreen stuff that we're all excited about and, and you know me just as much as anyone else loves to talk about it and designing for mobile and all that it's the tip of a very large iceberg absolutely we're going to be designing for voice we're going to be designing for you know what it boils down to is that is apis and cleaning up your content and making it um you know such that it can go anywhere and make sense it could be read by a screen reader or it could be displayed in an rss feed or it can be displayed on a screen no so all of this stuff you know you know, Siri and all these other voice activation st- things are going to be big. I think uh, Wii style touchless gestures is going to be big, um, but it's going to be nuts. I'm I'm at the point now where I still feel like an idiot when I use Siri. <laughs> yeah, because it's, but... it's not good enough yet. <laughs> yeah. The play, the the use case for me for Siri is when you're driving. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah, I I don't drive, so. <laughs> yeah, it's just not, and me neither, so. Yeah. It's a gimmick. Yeah. I mean, if I would, if I would just, if I'm just standing somewhere asking my phone questions, I just feel like an idiot. Yeah. Right. And I've, I've even, I've postulated or theorized about, well, what if they added it to Apple TV? But mm-hmm. that doesn't cut it. That won't work because like everyone's doing this two screen thing. 
where, and you know, he's, he's, it's, I've been doing it for a long time. I'm sure a lot of people have, but now the studies are coming out that are like, it's not just a fringe group, but people are watching TV, you know, and also uh, using their smartphones at the same time to either look up who's in, you know, oh, who was the, who is this actor or checking their calendar or their email during commercials or whatever. Yeah. I do that all the time. I can't just sit and watch TV anymore. Right. And it drives Richard crazy, but Hmm. I start. I started doing it when my eyesight was getting worse and I couldn't see the TV. Right. And now I've got into the habit of doing it, and I just I can't stop. Yeah. So yeah, we totally do that. And I mean, sometimes we don't even turn on the TV. We'll just like sit on the couch with our two phones and like be checking Facebook or be checking Twitter and like telling each other news and showing each other YouTube videos. And there's like no TV on at all. Yeah. But and the thing is, a lot of people it seems like uh, that make these set top boxes and smart TVs. Uh, they're thinking they're going to capitalize on this trend by putting features into the screen that you connect with your remote control, and that's never going to work because no. you then the other person in the room with you is forced to see what you're doing all the time, and no one no one wants to do that. Like that's not yeah, the and then and then they have to do what you're doing. They can't do their own thing on their own. Yeah, on their own phone. <laughs> portion of the screen. You yeah, know, like it's it's just silly. So I don't know. So the thing is, so that's the thing. It's like if Siri, Siri doesn't make sense in so many cases for the same reason that it's rude to talk on the cell phone in public. And, you know, perhaps that's why SMS is so huge because you don't have to broadcast to everyone around you what you're talking about. Right. And Siri is like, you know, it's kind of that, it's got that problem where it makes sense in the car when you're by yourself because you're not bothering anyone. Uh, and it is a nice alternative to typing in a lot of cases because typing stinks on these phones. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care how good they are. They still stink. And, uh, you know, so it makes sense in a, a, a small group of cases. But I think it makes a lot more sense uh, when you think about um, if it's your only option, it's pretty. it's a pretty decent option, uh, especially if it's integrated with really, really good with regular speech. Like I said, you know, who's the guy that started in Downton Abbey? And it just, like, got that information for you. Yeah. But, you know, there's also crazy stuff like uh, there's this thing called skin put, which sounds probably a little racier than it really is, <laughs> where you can, you know, when you, when you like, rub your fingers together or, or tap your fingers together or, or whatever, it makes, it has, like, a, an audio signature inside of your body that mm-hmm. is distinct from other things that you could possibly do. So, like, tapping my, my forefinger and my thumb together sounds different internally than my middle finger and my thumb. Right. So you could send all sorts of potentially send all sorts of input uh, by making hand hand actions, I guess, not gestures really, but they're just things you would do with your hands to trigger uh, some kind of particular action in this earpiece, which therefore wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be voice activated. Yeah, or or even if it is voice activated, I mean, you could you could basically just talk to yourself and just like barely verbalize. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I can imagine all kinds of things. Clicking your teeth together, you know, like like in a particular pattern, or there's a million things you could do. And yeah, let's or... not even get into like reading your thoughts. I mean, that, <laughs> I, b- I believe that will happen, but that's a long way off. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're we're just now getting to the point where we can start to deal with more more complex sort of mental signals, mm-hmm. and at least in terms of input, I'm I'm thinking of the new. The some of the advancements recently in terms of um, retina, retinal implants. Yeah, I want to say retina display, but <laughs> yeah, not retina displays, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a million. There's, you know, who knows what's going to happen? But yeah, but Google Glass is an obvious push in this direction. Um, I think earpods is. It, I I really think Apple is going to go this way. It'll just be an MP3 player at first. 
Yeah. Uh, but as soon as it has Wi-Fi and Siri in it, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, did I tell you about the contact lens? I don't remember. Uh, I saw a, a video a while back. I'll have to see if I can find it again. About a contact lens. See, apparently, when like if you're looking at like you're looking at something, you can't focus like short distance and and far away. Like you can't do it all at once. Right. Like if you're looking at something far away, you're not going to be able to read text that's right in front of your face, right. and and vice versa. And it was a contact lens that's designed in such a way is it, it allows you to focus on on both focal points at once. Mm. So so now they're able to do things like overlay something on top of your vision and and have everything still be in focus. Weird. Yeah, but I mean just imagine if you had a contact lens that could overlay data on on what you're looking at. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, it would be insane. Yeah. It's like and, that video. Did we we I think you're the one that sent me that video for that was sort of a a concept piece for exactly that. It was like this contact lens and this guy yeah. running an app called Wingman. Yeah. It goes on a date and, you know, both of them have this contact lens that's essentially overlaying data and giving them advice in real time, privately in real time, in public. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they're even, even for the most, even for the most basic versions of this stuff, like, like let's say an MP3 player with Wi-Fi and Siri in it that would stick in your ear. Even that, it has some obviously huge technical challenges, you know, like battery life. How's that going to work? Yeah. How, how would you set up a cell phone connection to something with no user interface? You know, like. Right. You know, and, and yeah, I mean, regardless of whatever you're doing, you got you have to have room to store an antenna. Yeah, there's all, I mean, all sorts of crazy challenges. But, you know, but think back, who would have thought the iPhone was going to be possible the day before it was announced? No one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have we have more than enough technology in our phones now to send people to the moon. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So. And yet we we throw birds at at um, <laughs> fling birds at pigs. <laughs> we use it to fling birds at pigs. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. It's like, how is it that NASA can communicate with a robot wirelessly that's rolling around on Mars? But I can only get like one bar on my iPhone in the basement. <laughs> yeah, probably a lot less concrete in the way. I, that's what I tweeted about it. That's what everybody said. It's like concrete. Yeah. I'm like, I I don't buy that. I feel like AT and T should be up to the challenge of figuring out concrete. Actually, like, I think it's I think it's the rebar in the concrete. To be honest, I I I don't accept. I reject that answer. <laughs> I reject the answer that we can't figure out how to how to do something about that it's like that that may be what it is but we should have a workaround by now <laughs> exactly i'm sure that is the reason but but there should be a solution we have a robot on mars that is sending instagrams back yeah i mean come on and you know people on twitter are like wow oh, the vacuum of space and blah whatever just make my cell phone work from the basement please <laughs> yeah make my ear pods work so, all right, we should definitely wrap up. I'm going to have a lot of stuff to cut out, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't get to talk about my Rails Rumble project. Not that I, I don't know that there's a whole lot to talk about yet. But Oh, dang. What, well, yeah, I just throw it in there real quick and if, if I give me more to work with. Uh, no, it's it's time for the... Uh, they didn't do it last year, but they did it uh, several years before, for the past several years before that, is the, the Rails Rumble competition. Mm-hmm. And it's 48 hours to to develop an application, des- design, develop, deploy an application 
using Ruby on Rails, or I think they're they're now allowing other Rack-based frameworks. So I will probably not be using Rails. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, they didn't have it last year, and I didn't do it the year before that. But for the the three the first three years, I did it, and it was a lot of fun. So mm. decided I'm going to do it again this year. And you picked a uh, you pick a project. Yes, I did actually. I finally I mulled it over for a while, and um, uh, I think I'm going to do an app that lets you uh, lets you create mood boards. Oh, cool! So That's like really a, like cool. A web app for creating and sharing mood boards. That's a great idea. And I'll I'll tie in with a few few APIs so you can pull in fonts and icons and photos and and color palettes and, and things like that. So. Wow, that's a really good idea. I like that. Yeah, I just hope I can do it in a weekend. Yeah, yeah. So how do they like? How do they? How do you do it? Like, how do you, they time you or whatever? Uh, yeah, it's it starts at. Well, like I said, they they set a set a start time and end time that goes to goes uh, uh, UTC time. So it starts at like five p.m. here, six p.m. But um. And like, what do you push all your changes to GitHub so people? Can yeah, see? yeah. Push all your changes to GitHub, and then they're they're monitor, monitoring GitHub and. Oh, that's hilarious. So they'd see if you put in like a massive first dump of... Right. Oh my God, is that funny? What a great idea. You can, and you can use any third-party code you want as long as it's open source. Uh Uh-huh. So. Fun. So when is it? It starts when? Uh, The competition is, I think it's the 14th and 15th or maybe 13th, 14th, whatever that weekend, weekend is. Let me look here. Was it October? Yeah. Yeah, it is October thirteenth and fourteenth, and the the signups for it open on the seventh. Mm. Funny. So. So I will I will probably not sleep that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean you can you can do teams of up to four people. Oh, that's cool. So this will be my second time that I've soloed it. Um, and the, I think the first year I did it, um, I did it with um, with Ryan Ryan Bates from Railscasts, mm-hmm. and um, and it was him and and me and uh, Jack Candy who works at, I think he works at Square now, wow. and um, uh, we came in we came in third place. Jeez, what'd you do then? Uh, it was a an online. Online ticketing sales for small venues. Gotcha. Cool. And then, then the next year, um, it was just Ryan and I, and I think we came in like eighth place. Wow. Is it like a lot of people do it? Uh, yeah. I think there was something like, something like 250 teams the last time. Jeez. The last time I did it, I don't know about the the year after that because I had to drop out to a family commitment. Mm. But yeah, you're talking. I think they had like something like 250 teams, and considering a team can be. You know, anywhere from one to four people. It's mm, a lot of people. Wow, super cool. Well, good luck with that. Obviously, keep us posted. Thank- yeah, I'm just still in the still in the planning phases. Of course, of course, we can't can't do any sort of development or any sort of design work beyond like wireframing mm-hmm. before the competition starts. So. Yeah. Cool. So that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope you join us again next week for the Mitch Podcast. Bye. Bye.